0: The other side podcast mission is to discuss important cultural and social issues relating to race, culture, gender and equality. Welcome in partnership with the Columbus Dispatch editorial board. The other side is featuring a series of special podcast episodes called in black and white. The series is devoted to discussing racism and its meaning. These episodes will run in conjunction with op ed columns appearing in the newspaper and on dispatch.com. Dr. Terrence Dean and I will be interviewing scholars in relevant fields to try to answer some of the most important questions related to racism. And joining us today is Denzel Porteous. He is the executive director of Stonewall Columbus and the CEO of Pride Fund One, a venture capital fund that's focused on LGBTQ plus entrepreneurs. Denzel wrote a op-ed column for The Dispatch called Black Queer Man, Why Representation Matters. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here with both of you. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, we are very excited to speak with you today, Denzel. Thank you so much. When I read your op-ed Black Queer Man Reputation Matters, I was excited to hear your story, but also the three different roles that you say you have taken on, particularly during COVID. Not only becoming the first black queer man of Columbus Pride, um Stonewall Columbus, but also the Venture Capital project that you're a part of. And then okay. becoming a foster parent. <laughs>
2: I'm I mean a dad we were lucky I was able to adopt my my foster daughter so it's even you know that's a yeah three 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 big opportunities, something um, things I didn't think it would be happening but uh, <laughs> I think I'm excited about being a part of.
1: So why do you, why did you think it was important to tell this story at this time and to bring light to the three representations that you say you represent black queer and man?
2: Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, uh, you know, I, I think about sort of the spaces where I was as a young person um, and, and the representations or role models that I saw out in the world that looked like me, that fit into the spaces that I fit in. when I didn't see them. Um, right? I didn't see anyone that looked like me in these spaces. Oftentimes they were cisgendered, they were, you know, white, they were men. Um, and and so for me, that was uh, a challenge, um, not being able to understand where I fit, believing that I should be able to aspire to all these wonderful and amazing things, but never seeing the first or never seeing someone similar to me or never seeing that. So, you know, I think it, at this point in my life, uh, you know, I'm really trying to step into this opportunity, um, you know, being able to be in these visible, Roles within the community, um, as executive director of Stonewall, as CEO of Pride Fund, um, comes with it uh, a responsibility. What is it that uh, Aunt May says? With with great power comes responsibility, great responsibility. Um, and I think these are these are positions of quote unquote power, however you want to frame that. But there's also the responsibility of being able to show up um, authentically, so that other people who look like me can can one day believe they can also do the same things.
1: Now stepping into the role of, of you know executive director of Um, Stonewall Columbus has Big shoes to fill, obviously But also the story past That it has had What do you see yourself As the face now of Stonewall pride Um, Columbus Stonewall And also, do you think that You say representation matters Will this change the direction of what you all are planning to do there? Like, are there new initiatives that are taking place? Like, what can we be excited to see happening? Just don't walk on this.
2: You know, it, uh, it it's interesting because I do think that uh, organizations sometimes or oftentimes reflect the. The face of leadership within an organization, um, the ethos that someone brings behind uh, the work that they do, and I think that's a, that can be a good thing, right? Um, you know, if a visionary person, uh, if an intentional and heartfelt, uh, thoughtful. Individual is is the one leading the charge or helping guide uh, the charge. Um, then there's positivity in being able to say that's the organization we want to see Stonewall become. Um, I believe I'm that type of person, and so I think as we live into our 40th uh, year, that we, we turned 40 this year, so that's amazing to think that we've been around for 40 years, impacting uh, not only the Central Ohio region but the state of Ohio uh, in relation to LGBTQIA acceptance um, and understanding. You know, so I think we'll continue on that. Same particular mission uh, to ensure that we all are uplifted and uh, and feel valued in this state. But I think what uh, what we will work towards uh, is ensuring that we are centering those in the community who are most in need of support, that's going to be important for us to ensure that we do um, as as we move forward. And of course, you know, I think intersectional identities mean something, and so I bring several intersectional identities to the table. So I think when you have someone helping guide an organization or a group, who has intersectional identities um, present in how they think about how the world works, that will oftentimes come out in how the work gets done in an organization. And I think that's exciting, again, for, for Stonewall and, and the future of, of Stonewall, but also of how we do and celebrate pride across Columbus.
1: So will there be a pride this year or, or, or do you all planning something that's going to be virtual or would it be what it look this year in
2: pandemic mode? Well, no one can cancel our pride. Right, I think pride pride is is something that you have 365 days a year, and I think as a new initiative, uh, that's sort of how we will be talking about it at Stonewall. Is that our pride is 365 days a year, so we're not going to be singularly uh, sort of sequestered to a weekend or a week. Um, You know, we may represent and celebrate all month, um, but you know, our pride cannot be canceled. So that's an exciting thing. I think what we are thinking about as an organization, however, is how we um, are able to raise. Funds uh, for the organization that allow us to do the programmatic work that we need to do in the community to serve those who are most in need. And so, as we think about celebrating Pride this year, no, we won't have a in-person celebration. Um, We, you know, even as 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 vaccines are rolling out, we can't uh, anticipate what 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 the world will look like at that point in time. Um, And it takes uh, quite a bit to pull together an in-person event of size when you're bringing 800,000 people to the area. So, this year we will, you know. Uh, continue to celebrate pride we are working with our corporate partners who are submitting videos and, and wonderful sponsorship to help us produce uh, a, a virtual uh, moment that we will broadcast on June 19th um, and then of course again as we are a 501c3 organization we are still raising funds and 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 celebrating and having other pride moments throughout the throughout the month so working with uh, city of Columbus to hopefully uh, light up city hall all month um, with pride colors instead of just for one week or one weekend again so we're you know we're excited about being able to partner with the city and the, and the county in our communities to, to rethink and reimagine how Columbus celebrates Pride and how Stonewall helps uplift whatever our, our partners are doing across the community.
1: I love that you said it's not just a singular moment or a singular weekend that we can celebrate Pride. Pride is 365 days a year. Um, and I think that's an important message to send to all those who are listening, particularly young people, because I think we do get caught up in you know June is coming, you know Pride month is coming. How can we celebrate at that moment when we can celebrate um, every day of our lives. And I wonder, you know, that's what your um, your, your op-ed is about, like how you're celebrating all of these components of, of your various lives, but also every day. And and I wondered how, you know, being a part of these spaces that are particularly, you know, um, primarily white, um, cis males, you, as you said in the op-ed, how can we get more representation inside those spaces? What will it take? Um, because, you know, as you mentioned, you know, Stonewall, Columbus, you know, is looking at diversity, you know, and how we look and celebrate all aspects of persons' identities. But how do we make sure that we get those all those representations of um, support inside those spaces where diversity shows up, as opposed to being just white cis male?
2: You know, I, I think the, the the way that we think about that is looking at. Um, how we think about who we i don't want to say allow at the table but but who we allow at the table right i think too often we have these sort of uh, prescribed structures of uh, how work should get done or how people sh- should be um, and i think we need to deconstruct that right i think we we need to really realize that everyone will come to us um, where they are um, and it's our responsibility to help educate bring along or usher in sort of where we think we can in uh, intersect as of community, right? So, so I think that's the first thing, right? So, me sitting at this table with my intersectional identities means that I'm going to think about who's not at the table automatically because I'm oftentimes looking for me, right? So, whatever those small pieces of me are, right? As as a, as a Black Caribbean, uh, I, uh, Jewish identified, um, you know, foster parent. Um, you know, all these little pieces of me, when you're looking for those identities, uh, you, you don't see them and so you start to work to get them there, right? Because again, I, I'm in a moment of, of, of leadership and I have an opportunity to change um, the way things are done. And so I think that's how you start to do it. When you start to allow people to change the way things have always been done, to again, be open to new ideas, to new purviews and perspectives of of, of, of what is right or what is acceptable, um, then you're able to, to make change happen. Um, you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing when, when I think about a lot of the conversations I've been having with the community um, here in in Ohio, but um, also uh, across the, the country, um, as you know, as a CEO of Pride Fund, I have this opportunity to connect with other communities who are who are thinking about the same thing. Um, how how do we diversify these spaces so that those um, who have beautiful big ideas, um, who want to see change in the community happen, feel welcomed at the table, right? And even if they they don't look like all the other cis white people at the table, maybe you know they still feel Comfortable, Um, and that's been a great conversation to see how communities across the country are thinking about that, and being really intentional about doing the work of ensuring that different voices are are sitting at the table and a part of the conversation. Um, And that's you know ultimately what it is—it's it's the intentionality of the work that we have to do. You know, when when someone walks in the room and thinks that everyone in the room looks like them, then you should raise your hand and say, "Hey." What do we do to make this space look a little different? Um, Or when someone walks in the room and no one in the room looks like them, they should feel empowered to say, hey, we need to do something to make this room look a little different. So it's beautiful to see that happening across the country. It's beautiful to know that we are leaning into that here in Columbus. And I'm just glad to be a small part of that conversation
1: because yeah, because you talk about these spaces that you lean into, and you know, finding yourself being the only one. And you and I have conversations about being a foster parent. Yeah. Um, we both entered into that world, and we share our very similar experiences. But but you took it a step further and became a foster <laughs> dad. I'm still in the baby stages of. So I'm just gonna let me let me let me test the waters here. How does it feel being a foster dad? And 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 what inspired you or encouraged you to want to get involved in the foster care system? Because we. Hear the stories of so many young people who are looking to be, you know, into foster homes or be adopted. But as a Black queer person, how does that feel, you know, entering into that space? Because, you know, you represent so many various different identities. And like I said, sometimes those spaces don't see the whole picture of the person as you yourself. So stepping into that role, how's it been? How's it going? How's your daughter?
2: Yeah, well, uh, she is wonderful and great. She just turned fourth three weeks ago now, and that uh, blossoming of of age is so great to see sort of everything that she's absorbing. And you know, it's interesting because I think those of us who have to be really intentional about going uh, down our pathways to parenthood, we have to think more intently oftentimes about sort of all the things that we may affect on our child, uh, right? And so as I went through this process, I made sure that, you know, initially I thought that I was going to, you know, be intentional about raising a a little white boy and raising the most white, white boy in the world. That was my thought, right? I wanted to be intentional about it. Um, And then sort of the beauty of the story is that everything unfolded um, in a a way that I wasn't uh, really fully prepared for. You know, my niece said to me, Uncle Denzel, like, why are you, why are you not thinking that you have the opportunity to... um, to raise a, a little girl, right? Or why you think you only have to raise a, a white kid? Uh, my niece also is adopted, and she's well. I'm adopted, and she's she's white, and you know. And it was sort of this moment where I was like, you, "You're right, right?" I, I remember that I had been raised by women, um, all all sisters everywhere, like I, women, a single mom uh, home, um, but also that my family, the family that I had. Made for myself after my mother passed away was this beautiful amalgamation of uh, of races and and ethnicities and identities. And so why would I sort of sequester myself to one thing and not think bigger for the world to think that maybe I could raise, you know, uh, a black. Girl who may one day end up being president, which of course now we see Kamala Harris um, as vice president. And now you know I, I no longer have to dream. It's it's a vision. It's a reality that my daughter could possibly aspire to be in, in the in the greatest house in the land, right? Um, and and as a foster parent, I I knew that I had the opportunity to to give love and, and help a young person in in this space. Um, I had the uh, uh, the the financial stability, um, a home, um, and so why not? Why not open your home if you have the capacity and ability to do it? I think as a as a, as a, a queer black man, that's not oftentimes what people think, um, we will do. Um, and I think in central Ohio, uh, when you have uh, a racial population that doesn't look like you represent you, um, that creates some challenges because you're just not sure what, what will happen as you take your maybe possibly white foster child out into the world and how people might interact and think about those things. And so all of these things I had to be intentional and thoughtful about before engaging in this, in this space. And, you know, the beauty in this particular moment is that, um, my first foster child uh, be, ended up becoming my, my, my child, my daughter. Um, and that's an amazing uh, thing for me. And, and I know that I know that my home will be open for foster kids in, in, in the future. But, you know, right now we are we are focusing all of our energy on, on raising our four year old um, and, and supporting her as much as possible.
0: So I wanted to ask you, you mentioned in your column the importance of, of showing up and representation And I was just wondering, was that was that message mainly intended to motivate people within the community to do more? Or was it more geared towards people who are in positions of power who need to do more to have blacking and queer representation?
2: Yes. Right. And yes, it's a general yes, because it's everybody. I think anyone who can should show up and show out, right? Like anyone who can, who who feels empowered to to live their truth and fully represent, they should do that because it will inspire someone else to to do the same. Um, so whether you are you know CEO of, of a company or the janitorial staff right show up and show up live be, be who you are um, and and that's the most important thing right because again people just need to see other people who look like them who think like them who believe like them who exist like them so they can also feel welcomed in spaces right so many queer youth just they struggle because they don't see people who look like them in their spaces and, and this is just ultimately it whoever you are whatever whatever your space is and however you show up in the world do so strongly strongly so
0: other people can can see it. I just want to ask one other question about the venture capital fund that you. So I guess my question is, did this come out of a need because there's systemic discrimination in terms of um, venture capital funding in general? Or I guess if an openly gay man goes into meets with a VC fund and, you know, they have their they have some business, a startup is it common for them to be discriminated against because of their sexuality, and that's why you created this fund, or was it to meet some other kind of need?
2: Another just general yes question, right? I think it's it's hard to sort of to to fully answer that. Um, so up until you know the summer of 2020. You could go to job. You go to your job after legally marrying your partner and still get fired because it's it's okay to fire someone based on sexual discrimination. Right, twenty twenty. Right, and so if you think about that uh, acceptable blatant discrimination, um, and then think about a, a queer identity walking into a, a cisgender traditionally white male space asking for funds already you're seeing I, I think I'm seeing the challenges and how these are these are gonna rub in a little bit of a funny way right um, because what what you see in the VC space has been we traditionally fund people who look like us right and so us, have been cisgendered white men, right? Like this. So, so if you are perpetuating perpetually uh, the same people, um, you just you know you know it works. You know how they work, and so therefore you are uh, gambling on something that's not really a gamble because you, you you've existed in that space and that's how you're thinking about it. Once you start intersecting these different identities, these these different thoughts, um, there's less certainty from those who are sitting in the positions of power about how those identities will be successful, right? Because if, if, if I am a, a, a white, straight man, and now a, a gay person, queer person has come to me with a queer-centered app that I don't understand, and mm-hmm. i how- how can I help them be successful? Right? Instead of me thinking I need to open up my mind, consider calling and identifying an advisor who could possibly help us support you know, this particular venture because we see it, it might be really viable as an investment. Um, so I think that, that's the thing. People don't oftentimes want to do the work right, to understand the challenge that they see before them. Um, And I think, again, it goes back to that intentionality space, again, we, all of us, everyone has to be intentional about being able to say, okay, I'm taking a moment to open up my my capacity to something new and something different um, so that people can, again, feel welcome. And so sitting in the seat as the venture in the venture space, it is that notion of representation, but also allowing those who are traditional VCs that don't look like me to say, OK, wow, yes, look at the success that that this group is having. And so there we, then we can follow suit. It is about, again, changing the conversation, being intentional about changing the conversation. If we weren't so intentional in saying we're only focusing on this particular population, how would the conversation then change? Um, no one is being intentional about the work and then everything is accidental, right? Where well, right. accidental stuff doesn't get you moving forward. in in the right direction it's intentional actions that that change things and that's what this is all about being very quite intentional in how we show up in these spaces
1: well how does one propose to venture capital i have a project idea so, do I give it to you directly? You know, because I mean, you say these things, you know, um, and you want to open these spaces, but yeah. how are you making sure that messaging gets across to people of color and particularly queer persons of color yeah. that they feel that they can have their voices heard and their projects being viewed um, not um, discriminatorily?
2: Yeah. So it's a a lot of this. It really honestly is uh, spending a lot of time having conversations with people. Um, And again, showing up in these spaces, right? Again, being able to to change the dialogue. So podcasts, uh, the ability to write articles allows me and others the opportunity to start digesting things differently and hopefully... Queer identities and, and people of color who haven't been in these spaces or start to see this messaging and these identities show up more. So it's sort of a it's it sort it it becomes this uh, skilled communication thing that you have to be able to overextend yourself sometimes to the benefit of the community. Um, you know this is this is that space where people always talk about uh, you know sort of those in, in in these leadership positions need to find better balance. Uh, uh, but ultimately, that's it. We have to continually show up. We have to have these conversations. It's 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 you know it's it's oftentimes saying yes to every interview. Um, sometimes even when I'm tired, um, because again, I want to make sure that the message is being saturated across a variety of of markets, so that again people are hearing it, um, you know, and people are hearing it in, in again, in different, different places. Um, so that, I mean, that's, that's probably as simple as it is, right? It, it literally is just maintaining communication conversation. And we, I mean, what we, we know that uh, content is king these days or queen or leader, whatever term you wanted to, 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 to term it, but that's part of how we get the message out is, is being able to be, be a part of that content creation. Um, so that again, across many platforms, people are, are hearing the message. You ask, how do they submit ideas? I mean, in, in any process, usually a, a, a venture capital fund or firm will have um, an online web submission form or something like that. Yeah, you can ask me and bump into me on the street. I can probably say, let me get your information or here's my card, send me an email. Um, but still, you know, uh, it, there'll be the, the path of let's sit down and, and, and talk about what the next steps are.
0: In terms of the investors in the fund, are they primarily queer centric investors or or is there a broad spectrum of the types of investors that are investing in the fund
2: yeah you know um you know so it is it is uh it is a, a, a wonderful cross-section of, of community um I would say that our investor pool is at the moment 50 50 so Fifty percent probably identify, you know, are queer identified, or fifty percent are not queer identified, which I think is exciting. And um, uh, ultimately, what it is is that uh, all of these identities believe in in investing in and uplifting uh, queer identities in, in venture. So that's the great thing, right? They they all have this this central belief uh, that the work is important to uplift this community. But the identities are are you know are you know again probably 50, 50 you know so fifty percent queer identified and fifty percent not. Um, and and the you know male to female ratio is wonderful. The, Or you know, on that spectrum, the 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 ethnic and racial uh, backgrounds are are great and diverse as well. So you know, it's it's been exciting to see how people have been really open uh, from a variety of communities to plug into this.
1: Well, we want to thank you so much because this has been a a very lively conversation, very lively op-ed piece. I know people were excited and buzzing about it. Thank Thank you for sharing why representation matters. Thank you for being visible. Thank you you for being open and affirming of yourself, but also to your daughter. Congratulations again.
0: Congratulations. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you both for having me
2: today. It was a pleasure to to chat with you all and and just spend a little time sharing about myself. So thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. And for everybody there, our listeners, be sure to read the full column written by our guest. Uh, you'll be able to find it on dispatch.com. And while you're there, please consider supporting local journalism by becoming a subscriber and be sure to check back for regular for the next installment in the black and white podcast series. So until the next time, try to see things from the other side. Thanks.